Please join me in prayer. As we open your word, God, show us again your love, your son Jesus, and our life in him. Help us not only to hear the words that you speak to us, but to receive them into our lives so that more and more uh, we can live in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Paul was the most significant ambassador of the gospel as told in God's story in the last half of Acts. Acts 13 through 28 tells us about Paul's three missionary journeys. The Christians in Antioch commissioned Paul and Barnabas on their first journey about 46 to 48 AD. They went to Cyprus and then up to Galatia and Phrygia and the area we know of today as Turkey. On his second missionary journey, about 49 to 52 A.D., Paul returned to some of the earlier stops of his first journey, and then the Spirit moved him from Asia toward Macedonia, the area we know of today as as Greece. There he ministered to the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth. And then for his third missionary journey, about 53 to 57 A.D., Paul revisited many of the same cities and Christian communities he had been to on his second journey. Early on, he visited Ephesus, but a riot riot broke out there, and then he had to uh, go to Greece. He visited the churches there and then headed to Macedonia. At the end of his third journey, Paul decided to head to Jerusalem. He knew it could be dangerous for him. Resistance against his mission to the Gentiles was strong. But Paul stuck with his life mission. As he was returning to Jerusalem, he stopped in Ephesus and he said to some of the elders in Ephesus, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul did run into conflict with the temple leaders in Jerusalem. There was a series of arrests and trials and appearances which ultimately sent Paul to Rome to be heard before Caesar. Through it all, the Lord assured him, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. But before Paul went to Rome, he faced other crises. There was a plot to murder Paul that was uncovered. So he was taken by the authorities to Caesarea where he spent two years in prison. And when Festus became the new governor of that area, he tried Paul to see if there was any reason for his imprisonment. And Festus found no cause for Paul's imprisonment. But during this trial, Paul had appealed to Caesar. And the Roman rule was that Paul then should be sent to Rome so that Caesar could hear his case. But prior to that, Herod Agrippa II, ruler of the Jewish people, collaborator with Rome, showed up in Caesarea, and so Festus wanted his input. And Agrippa agreed he would like to hear Paul. That's where we pick up Paul's story in Acts 26. Acts 26, page 1739 in the Pew Bibles. Acts 26, beginning with verse 1. And Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, 
I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you will have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. 
Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Reviews are a way of life. Before you go to a movie, you just might check out the Rotten Tomatoes rating. Before you go to a new restaurant, you might check out the Yelp reviews. Before you buy something on Amazon, you read some of the reviews people post. But there's no better review than word of mouth. You take notice when your friend or your family member says, Hey, you should try this. It's the best thing I've ever found. Personal testimony. It really works. You should try it. A personal testimony doesn't only work for window cleaning products. Christian faith is revealed by personal testimony. Life with Jesus is the centerpiece of Paul's life. And when Paul appears before Agrippa, he points to his life with Christ. Works for me. How about you? You won't understand Christianity unless you come to grips with Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes Paul's life. Festus Festus thought Paul was crazy, wasn't true. I mean, Paul responds, I'm not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Faith in Jesus changed Paul. He believed in a real Jesus who died and was raised to life. Jesus wasn't a fairy tale, not some illusion because Paul had had received too many beatings. Jesus is everything Paul lived for. Paul preached Jesus everywhere he went. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises. See, we won't understand Paul's speech to Agrippa without considering Paul's Jewish background. Paul told Agrippa, I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Now there's two basic Pharisee groups. One group was the Hillel Pharisees. They were the ones who put up with Roman rule. Even though it was pagan, they could endure under it. They just wanted the space to be able to study Torah. A second group was the Shemite Pharisees. They could not tolerate Roman rule. They demanded release from this pagan rule. They wanted the freedom to serve God in their own way, even if it meant taking up weapons. Paul belonged to this strict sect of Shemite Pharisees. They read Moses and the prophets and wanted to bring about this long-awaited kingdom of God. We'd call them right-wing militants who wanted to bring about God's new order. Paul was zealous for God's kingdom. He would do anything to stomp out disloyalty, especially to oppose this imposter Messiah named Jesus. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And then Paul met Jesus. On the road to Damascus, the risen Jesus appeared to Paul. Jesus changed everything. 
Paul realized that Jesus fulfilled everything he'd hoped God would bring about. Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle. But there was a strong line of continuity between the two. Paul never wavered in his belief that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was and is the only true God. Paul believed in Jesus, but Paul didn't change God's. Paul explains, it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. In fact, Paul wouldn't even describe his change as a a change of religions. He continues, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Jewish worship lived in hope of seeing God's promises fulfilled through the Messiah. And Paul realized that the Creator God, Abraham's God, the God who had promised the people resurrection, had accomplished this resurrection in Jesus. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? See, as a good Jew, Paul expected Israel to be resurrected to her place as bearer of God's kingdom in this world. Along with other Jews, Paul figured that this would be a future event, that the resurrection of the Jews would happen at the end of time. But now he sees that Jesus' resurrection, an event that happens in the middle of time, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So Paul testifies to Agrippa, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this longed-for new order of God arrived. In Jesus and his resurrection, the kingdom of God had come. Jesus changed everything for Paul. And God's kingdom of hope and love and peace comes alive in us as we all live. Life lived for Jesus' sake. See, the only way to receive God's promise is to let go of the promises we've stored up for ourselves. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. You see, you can't tag Jesus on to an already full life. Jesus is not some add-on. To receive Jesus is to let go of our certainties and to grab hold of life in Jesus. Festus thought Paul was out of his mind. He was ready to put an end to the conversation. But Paul presses ahead with Agrippa. See, Agrippa was a friend of the Romans, and he also understood Jewish tradition. And so Paul presents Agrippa with a question. The king is familiar with these things, says Paul, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul makes this this bold move. He puts Agrippa on the spot. See, if Agrippa says, no, I don't believe them, he'd find himself in hot water with the Jews. He would lose all credibility with the people that he rules over. They were firm believers in what the prophets had to say. 
But if Agrippa says, yes, I do believe in them, he plays right into Paul's hand. It wouldn't be much for Paul to move him from a, a belief in the prophets to a belief in the resurrection. And if you believe in the resurrection, well, then you can't help but believe in Jesus. So Agrippa faces a dilemma. He can't alienate the Jewish people. They might revolt. He can't believe in Jesus as Lord. Every respectable Roman citizen knew that Caesar is Lord. This beat-up, crucified Jesus couldn't be the Messiah, some resurrected Lord of all. Agrippa simply could not let go of his agenda. And so he sidesteps Paul. He diverts Paul's question with a question of his own. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa couldn't let himself go. He couldn't trust that Jesus would keep his life in the goodness and love of God. He couldn't let go of his firm hold on the realities of his life that he felt kept him safe. Agrippa is like the story of the guy who fell off the cliff while hiking. He manages to grab hold of a shrub, the only thing that saves him from certain death. And hanging on for his life, he shouts, Anyone there? Anyone up there who can help me? Please, I can't hold on much longer. Anyone there? And to his surprise, a voice responds, Yes, I'm here. I'm God. Well, the hiker's relieved. God, please help me, he says. I can't hold on much longer. And God says, Do you believe in me? The hiker's shocked. Believe in you? What are you talking about? I'm ready to die here. Okay, okay, yes, I go to church on most Sundays, I pray before meals, I read my Bible whenever I feel a bit out of sorts, I give to the church as long as there's something left over for me at the end of the month. Okay, says God, if that's the best you can do, let go. Let go of the bush, I'll catch you. The guy just sputters, let go, are you crazy? Let go? And God simply says, if you believe in me, let go. Complete silence followed. And then the man yelled, Is anyone else up there? (laughs) See, to truly follow Jesus, you not only have to recognize He's God's long-awaited Messiah, the Lord of all, but you have to give up your own agenda. Let go of what you want. To follow Jesus, we have to let go of ourselves. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't blend in with the rest of society. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't expect God will give you a big payoffs of some prosperity and success. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't keep a few counterfeit gods on the side. Work, family, friends, money, success, power. All kind of gods just in case Jesus doesn't always come through. If we're going to follow Jesus... There has to be evidence in our lives to prove that we'd be guilty of being his follower. To follow Jesus, we have to let go of ourselves, let go of our ways, and take up Jesus and his ways. That's what Paul did. So then King Agrippa was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and then to the Gentiles. Paul obeyed God rather than human authority. Just like Peter and John and other disciples, Paul set aside the human authority of Jewish tradition, received God's revelation in a fresh way, and Jesus took up center place in Paul's life. Any true Christian witness is a testimony that Jesus is Lord of our lives. So being a Christian isn't about God saving us to heaven. It's not about having fire insurance from hell's damnation. We believe in and follow Jesus because he influences our lives to shine like him in everything. Paul puts it like this to Agrippa. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. As followers of Jesus Christ, part of our Christian witness is that others should become what we are. Paul sets the pace for all Christians. Now I know most of us think this sounds pretty arrogant. Feels like we're pushing ourselves forward. But Paul isn't commending himself. Notice, he admits that he's in chains. He doesn't want that for Agrippa. He's not pushing himself. Paul wants to share the impact that Jesus Christ has had on his life. Lamentably, we too often shy away from Paul's sentiment. Perhaps because we've lost sense of how God's good news is spread. As one person notes, if this story in Acts seems remote to us today, it can only be because we've lost the dynamic of the gospel. For centuries, there's been a comfortable assumption on the part of church members that Christians are just made by an automatic process working through heredity and environment. Christians were made, so to speak, by an assembly line provided by the church. So the impulse to win others to the faith has died away. How many of us could really say to our non-Christian contemporaries, I wish to God that you might become what I am? We each have our own chains. What matters is that we want others to share the experience we have of Jesus Christ. Only when Jesus is Lord of our lives will we want to say, I wish you, like me, could say, I'm not my own. I belong, body and soul and life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I may have chains, but He is the Lord of my life. When Jesus the Lord shines into my life, it changes the entire way that I look at the world. Jesus and his victory through death and resurrection promises me victory. Jesus, the one who said, I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever, promises me life with him forever. When we grasp the way Jesus works through our lives, we'll see the power of God at work in us despite the chains that encumber us. God's power worked through Christians like Paul to change the world. And our world needs change. Our world needs change as desperately as Paul's world needed change. So God calls us to that same world-transforming task as God called Paul. We are to be witnesses to what we've seen and heard of the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord of all. 
The last chapters of Acts tell us about Paul's journey to Rome. He's still a prisoner. He enters into Rome under house arrest. But it doesn't prevent Paul from doing what God called him to do. The last verse of the book of Acts says this. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Nothing stopped Paul from doing what God wanted done, not even imprisonment. I'm sure there were plenty of occasions that Paul repeated to others the words he spoke to Agrippa. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Become what I am. Paul was a servant of his Lord Jesus Christ. Our witness is not to commend ourselves. We lift up the name of Jesus. We tell others about the impact Jesus has had on our lives. Jesus is our Lord, so we can announce, become what I am. So where will it end? God's story in Acts tells of a people driven by God's Spirit to witness to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God's story tells of a people who journey through trials and pains and sufferings and shipwrecks to reach into God's future. Across all the boundaries of time and geography, God uses people who've met Jesus and are committed to Jesus as Lord. God's servants tell men and women and children about what they've seen and heard. Letting others know they live in God's story. So God calls us to act out His story in our world. Uh, It's not an option. God's called us to be His people, writing the next chapter of God's story. We, we are writing Acts 29. We face our own trials. We wear our own chains. And we experience God's presence in our lives through Jesus. And we invite others into the same story. Become what I am. Luke's story in Acts ends with Paul's journey to Rome. And in this ending, we find our beginning. That God grants us the spirit of Jesus so that we will boldly declare the kingdom of God and spread the good news of the Lord Jesus who has changed our lives. Our witness to our Lord Jesus is strengthened here today at this table. Jesus meets us here. He feeds us the bread of heaven and offers the cup of salvation to equip us for his sake. The Apostle Paul writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in my name. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Creator God, be present with your life-giving word and Holy Spirit that we and your entire church may be called out and made whole through this supper. Grant that all who share the communion of the body and blood of your Son may be united in him. May we all remain faithful in love and hope till we feast joyfully with you, O Christ, at the coming of your kingdom. Amen.